This is Island Waves, and you are listening to The Book Nook. Listening to Island Waves. Join us today as we journey along with Baroness Karen Blixen in her published memoirs, Out of Africa. Published under the nom de plume, Isaac Dennison. Come along on her journey. One year, the long rains failed, and that is a terrible, tremendous experience, and the farmer who has lived through it will never forget it. Years afterward, and away from Africa in the wet climate of a northern country, he will start up at night at the sound of a sudden shower of rain and cry, at last, at last. And in normal years, the long rains began in the last week of March and went on into the middle of June. Up to the time of the rains, the world grew hotter and drier every day, feverish, as if in Europe before a great thunderstorm, only more so. The Maasai, who were my neighbors on the other side of the river, at that time set fire to the vast dry plains to get new green grass for their cattle with the first rain, and the air over the plains danced with the mighty conflagration. The long, gray, and rainbow-tilted layers of smoke rolled along over the grass, and the heat and the smell of burning were drifted and over the cultivated land as if from a furnace. Gigantic clouds gathered and dissolved again over the landscape with a light distant shower of rain while it painted a blue slanting streak across the horizon. All the world had just but one thought. And on an evening just before sunset, the scenery drew close round you, and the hills came near and were vigorous and meaningful in their clear, deep blue and green coloring. A couple of hours later, you went out and saw that the stars had gone and you felt the night air soft and deep and pregnant with benefaction. 
and when the quickly growing rushing sound wandered over your head as if the wind and the tall forest trees were whispering through and not the rain. And when it ran along the ground, it was the wind and the shrubs and the long grass and again, not the rain. And when it rustled and rattled just above the ground, it was the wind in the maize fields, where it sounded so much like rain that you were taken in time and time again, and even got a certain content from it, as if you were at least shown the thing you longed for and acted on a stage, and again, not the rain. But... When the earth answered like a sounding board and a deep fertile roar, and the world sang round you in all dimensions, all above and below, that, that was the rain. It was like coming back to the sea when you have been gone a long time away from it, like a lover's embrace. But one year... The long rains failed. It was then, as if the universe were turning away from you. It grew cooler. On some days it would be cold. But yet there was no sign of moisture in the atmosphere. Everything became drier and harder, and it was all force and gracefulness had withdrawn from this world of ours. It was not a bad weather or a good weather, but a negation of all weather, as if it had been deferred Cindy. A bleak wind, like a drought, ran over your head, all color faded from all things, with smells that went away from the fields and the forests, and the feeling of being in disgrace with the great powers pressed upon you. To the south, the burnt plains lay black and waste, striped with gray and white ashes. And with every day in which we now waited for the rains in vain, prospects and hopes of the farm grew dim and disappeared. The plowing, the pruning, the planting of the last months turned out to be a labor of fools, and the farm work slowed off and eventually stood quite still. And yet on the plains and in the hills, the water holes, while they dried up, and the many new kinds of ducks and geese still came to my pond. And to the pond on the boundary of the farm, the zebra came wandering in early mornings and at sunset to drink in long rows, two or three hundred of them, with the foals walking with the mares, and they were not afraid of me when I rode out amongst them. But we tried to keep them off the land for the sake of our cattle, while the water was sinking in the ponds. And yet still it was a pleasure to go down there, where the rushes growing in the mud made a green patch in the bleak brown landscape. The natives became silent under the drought. I could not get a word on the prospects out of them, and although you would have thought that they should have known more about the signs of the weather than we did, it was their existence which was at stake, and it was not unheard of a thing to them, and had been to their fathers to lose nine-tenths of their stock in the great years of drought. 
Their shambas were dry, with a few drooping and withering sweet potato and maize plants. And after a time, I learned their manner from them, and gave up talking of the hard times or complaining about them like a person in disgrace. But, after all, I was European, and I had not lived long enough in the country to acquire the absolute passivity of the native, as some Europeans will do. They live for many centuries in Africa. I was young, and by instinct of self-preservation, I had to collect my energy on something if I were not to be whirled away with the dust on the farm roads or the smoke on the plain. I began in the evenings to write stories, fairy tales, and romances that would take my mind way off into other countries and to other times. I had been telling some of these stories to a friend when he came to stay on the farm. And when I got up and went outside, there was a cruel wind blowing. The sky was clear and set with millions of hard stars, everything around it parched dry. At first, I wrote in the evenings only, but later on, as I often sat down to write in the mornings as well, when I ought to have been out on the farm. It was difficult out there to decide whether we ought to plow the maize field up again and plant it a second time, and whether we ought to strip the withering coffee berries off the trees to save the trees or not, and I put the decisions off from day to day. I used to sit and write in the dining room with papers spread all over the dinner table, for I had accounts and estimates of the farm to do in between my stories and little desolate notes from my farming manager to answer. My houseboys asked me what I was doing, and when I told them I was trying to write a book, they looked upon it as a last futile attempt to save the farm through the hard times, and they took an interest in it. Later on, they would ask how my book was proceeding. They would come in and stand for a long time watching the progress of it, and in the panelled room their heads were so much the colour of the panels that at night it looked as if they were white robes only, keeping me company with their backs to the wall. My dining room looked to the west, and it had three long windows that opened out to the paved terraces, the lawn, and the forest and the land here sloped down to the river and formed the boundary between me and the Maasai. You could not see the river itself from the house, but you could follow its winding course by the design of the dark green big acacias which grew all along it. And to the other side, 
the wood-clad lands rose again, and over the woods were the green plains that reached to the foot of the Nyong Hills. And were my faith so strong that it would move mountains, that is, the mountain that I would make come to me. The wind blew from the east. The doors of my dining room too, Lee, were always open, and for this reason the west side of the house was popular with the natives. They laid their way round it to keep it in touch with what was going on inside. And from the same motive, the little native herd boys brought their goats round and made them graze on the lawn. These same little boys who wandered about on the farm in the company of their father's herds of goats and sheep, looking up grazing for them, did in a way form a link between the life of my civilized house and the life of the wild. My house boys distrusted them and they did not like them to come into the rooms. But the children, oh, the children had a real love and enthusiasm for civilization. For to them, it held no dangers at all, for they could leave it again whenever they would like. The central symbol of it to them was an old German cuckoo clock that hung in the dining room, and the clock was entirely an object of luxury in the African highlands. All the year round, you could tell from the position of the sun what time it was, and, as you had no dealings with railways and could arrange your life on the farm according to your own wishes, it became a matter of no importance. But this was a very fine clock, and in the midst of a cluster of pink roses, at every full hour a cuckoo here flung up its little door and threw itself forward to announce the hour in a clear, insolent voice. Its very apparition was very and every time a fresh delight to the young people of the farm, and from the position of the sun they judged accurately when the moment for the midday call was due, and by a quarter of twelve I could see them approaching the house from all sides as the tail of their goats, which they dared not leave behind. The heads of these very children and of the goats swam through the bush and long grass of the forest like heads of frogs in a pond. They left their flocks on the lawn and came in noiselessly on their bare feet. The bigger ones were about ten years, and the youngest as young as two years. The bigger ones were about five feet tall, and the little ones were little babes. And they behaved very well and kept up a sort of self-made ceremonial for their visits, which came to this that they could move about freely in the house as long as they did not touch anything. Nor were they allowed to sit down nor speak unless spoken to. And as the cuckoo rushed out on them, a great movement of ecstasy and suppressed laughter ran through the group. It also sometimes happened that a very small herd boy who did not feel 
any responsibility about the goats, would come back in the early morning all by himself, stand for a long time in front of the clock, now shut up and silent, and address it in Kikuyu in a slow sing-song declaration of love, and then gravely walk out again. My houseboys laughed at the herd boys and confided to me that the children were so ignorant that they believed the cuckoo to be alive. And now my houseboys came in themselves to watch the work of the typewriter. Comante sometimes stood by the wall for half an hour in the evening with his eyes ran to and fro like dark drops under the eyelashes as if he meant to learn enough about the machine to take it to pieces and to put it back together again as was his inclination. One night, as I looked up, I met these profound, attentive eyes, and after a moment he spoke, Misabu, he said, do you believe yourself that you can write a book? Well, I answered that I did not know. To figure to oneself a conversation with Kamante, one must imagine a long, pregnant, as if deeply responsible pause before each phrase. All natives are masters in the art of the pause and thereby give perspective to any discussion. Comante now made such a long pause and then said, I do not believe it. I had nobody else to discuss my book with, and I laid down my paper and asked him, Well, why not? I now found that he had been thinking the conversation over before and prepared himself for it, and he stood with the odyssey itself behind his back, and here he laid it on the table. Look, Misabu, he said, this is a good book. It hangs together from one end to the other. Even if you hold it up and shake it strongly, it does not come to pieces. The man who has written it is very clever, but what you write, he went on, both with scorn and with a sort of friendly compassion, is some here and some there. And when the people forget to close the door, it blows about, even down on the floor, and you are angry. It will not be a good book. I explained to him that in Europe the people would be able to fix it all up together. Will your book then be as heavy as this, Comante asked, weighing the Odyssey? And when he saw that I hesitated, he handed it to me in order that I may judge for myself. No, I said, it will not be. But there are other books in the library, as you know, that are lighter. And as Harley asked, I said it was expensive to make a book so hard. And he took for some time in silence, and then he expressed his greater hopes of my book, and perhaps also repentance of his doubts by picking up the scattered pages from the floor and lying them on the table. Still, he did not go away, but stood by the table and waited and then asked me gravely, Masabu, what is there in books? As an illustration, I told him the story from the Odyssey of the hero of Palamephus and how Odysseus had called himself Noman and had put on Polyphemus' eye and had escaped tied up under the belly of a ram.
and Comte listened with much interest and expressed as his opinion that the ram must have been of the same race as the sheep of Mr. Long of Elementar, which he had seen at the cattle show in Nairobi. And he came back to Polymephis and asked me if he had been black like the Kikuyu. And when I said no, he wanted to know if Odysseus had been of my own tribe or family. How did he ask, say the word Norman in his own language? Say it. He said, Oetus. And I told him he called himself Oetus, of which his language means Norman. But you must write about that same thing, he asked me. No, I said, people can write of anything they please, and I might write of you. Comente, who had opened up in the course of the talk, here suddenly closed again, and he looked down himself and asked me in a low voice, what part of him would I write about? I might write about the time when you were ill and when you were out with the sheep on the plain, I said. What did you think of then? And his eyes wandered over the room, up and down, and in the end, he said very safely and vaguely, Sejoui, I know not. And were you afraid? I asked him. And after a pause, yes, he said firmly, all the boys on the plain are afraid sometimes. And of what were you afraid, I asked. And Comante stood very silent for a little while, and then he looked up at me, and his face became collected and deep, and his eyes gazed inward. Of Wheatus, he asked, the boys on the plain are afraid of Wheatus. A few days later, I heard Comante explain to the other houseboys in Europe that the book which I was writing could be made to stick together, and with that terrible expense, it could even be made as hard as the Odyssey, which was again displayed. But he himself, however, did not believe that it could be made blue. Comante had a talent of his own that became of use to him in my house. He could, I believe, cry when he wanted to. And if ever I scolded him in earnest, he stood up straight before me and looked at me in the face with that watchful, deep sadness which the faces of the natives take on in a single moment. And then his eyes swelled and filled with heavy tears that slowly, one by one, rolled out and down and over his cheeks. I knew them to be pure crocodile tears, and in other people they would not have affected me, but with Camante it was a different thing. His flat wooden face on these occasions sank back into the world of darkness and infinite loneliness, and that he had dwelt for many years. Such heavy tears he might have wept as a little boy on the plain with the sheep all around him. They made me uneasy and gave to the sins for which I had scolded him a different aspect, a much smaller look, so that I did not want to go on talking about them. And in a way, it was very demoralizing. Still, 
I believe that by the strength of the true human understanding which existed between us, Calmante knew in his heart that I looked through his tears of contrition and did not take them for more than what they were, and indeed that he himself looked upon them more as a ceremony due to the higher powers than as any attempt to deceive. You've been listening to The Book Nook on Island Waves with our spotlight out of Africa, the published memoirs of Karen Blixen, published under the non plume of Isaac Dennison. Join us again on The Book Nook as we share in her journey here on Island Waves. <laughs>